Hello and welcome to Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I'm Betty, I'm a flight attendant for a major airline and I bring you stories from the airplane, from the flight attendants and the pilots, and from traveling around the world. The music for this episode is actually from Stuttgart, Germany, and for once I actually have the name of the street performer, (laughs) is Patrika Ney, and um, I put his information on my website. He was playing a Symbolum, I think it's called. It's that musical instrument that kind of is like embedded in a desk. It is amazing what one person can do on the street in Germany. And uh, in this episode, we have some stories from Palau. I have quite a few pilot stories, and those were told to me in a bar in Tokyo. So there is some background Tokyo bar noise. (laughs) Normally dealing with airplane noise, this time is Tokyo bar noise. And we also have some, of course, some flight attendant stories. And at the end of the episode, we have a wonderful tribute to Mama Bird. Now let's get on with the show. So every once in a while we have issues with with cans, you know, beverage cans. So you're on the beverage car. Story about the ones that just blew up on the airplane. Yeah, that you just, he, he's now drenched, so it's going to remind you of another story like that? Yeah, we used to have a beverage cart that you'd slide the Cokes in on the top row, and they would slide in, right. and you kept pushing them in, pushing them in until you'd get it full. Right. So as I pushed it in, the Diet Coke fell out the other side as she was pushing him hers in on her side. The one I pushed in fell out the other side, landed on the floor. It must have gone straight down. It, la- it went straight down, landed between her legs. And it went off like a bomb. It blew up like a volcano. And I can't remember, I cannot remember the girl's name, but all I can remember is her standing there. And, and it was just dripping out from her skirt. I mean, she literally went off like a bomb and just soaked her capucci and everything else and every other part that's up inside that skirt that you guys wear. I like the soak, the carpucci. Capucci. Capucci. So I went to Palau a few weeks back. Uh, I mentioned it on the last podcast. And one of the reasons I chose Palau is I I still watch Survivor. I think it's that whole traveling thing. So uh, Survivor appeals to me. And it must have been one of the first few destinations they went to was Survivor Palau. And of course, it looked beautiful, but a lot of places look beautiful. But they had this jellyfish lake. Do you guys know about the jellyfish lake? I believe it's the only place in the world where it's it's in the ocean. It's salt water, but it's surrounded by mountains. So there's no, um, there's only like teeny tiny hole that connects it to the rest of the ocean. So teeny tiny jellyfish must have gotten in there. Baby jellyfish way back when, who knows how long ago. And Nothing else can get in or out. So the jellyfish have just, you know, gone wild. There's millions of them. And they have evolved because they have no predators uh, to not sting. So they're, they're golden jellyfish. They don't see. They don't really eat. They get their uh, energy from the sun. So that's sort of why they, they're called golden because they glow. It's like this beautiful water full of these golden pulsating creatures just bouncing off of you. It looks like you're in some other planet, like, or another world or heaven. I don't know. It's like, it's so bizarre and beautiful and unreal. It's just should be one of the natural wonders of the world. And I had seen about it in Palau, had to do it myself. It's worth going, even though it takes, you know, like 30 hours to get there. (laughs) 
just to see the jellyfish. I run from jellyfish here in South Carolina, but I will fly 30 hours to see these special jellyfish. They're like rock stars. They're kind of like those swimming pigs in the exumas, uh, but better. And actually, one of the funny things about the jellyfish lake is uh, they have you have to basically go on a tour to get there because you have to have a boat and you have to pay a permit because the jellyfish are protected. I'm glad the jellyfish are protected. You know, it's just like the Galapagos or the gorillas in Rwanda. You have to have like a permit and all of those fees are going up. I'm glad that I am doing these things now because it seems like as soon as I do them, um, the permit goes up. I haven't done the gorillas yet because it's kind of dangerous there still. It's on, you know, one of the tops on my list, but those permits used to be like $300. Now I believe it's $500. When I went to the Galapagos, the fee was $100. Now I believe it's gone up to $300. I just did the jellyfish. It was $35. And I think it's going up to $100. <laughs> but the reason why they do this is they're trying to protect, you know, a very fragile ecosystem. And if it's, you know, something that's only one place in the world, you definitely want to protect it. So when you do these tours, so you have to pay the permit and then you have to pay a tour fee. So it's not that cheap to go see the jellyfish. But I think it's funny that they have this thing where they they take you to this thing first called the Milky Way. And granted, that's really part of the fun of the day. Um, it's where it's a part of the ocean where the limestone off of the cliffs gets washed into the sea. So the bottom of the sea is not sand. It's just, I don't even know how many feet deep it is of this white mud, which is actually limestone mud. <laughs> anyway, you put it all over yourself and then you let it dry. You know, it's like a beauty treatment. Then you jump off into the water and wash yourself off. It's fun. You know, you're covered in mud. Everybody likes it. It's silly. It's fun. It's it's supposedly good for you. You know, your skin does feel pretty good afterwards. But here's the ingenious part is they take you there first <laughs> before they take you to the jellyfish. That's why they basically washed it off. <laughs> They cleaned off. They don't want you to bring any sunscreen or anything that's going to hurt these rock star jellyfish. Genius. So you're going to tell a story? Yeah. All right. Well, once upon a time, this guy named Larry got on our airplane. Larry. and was 90 years old. And I asked Larry, I said, Larry. What do you think about being on uh, being on an airplane? He goes, this is my first time on an airplane. I said, Larry, why is this your first time on an airplane? He goes, I never had a need to fly. I said, well, why are you flying now? He said, my granddaughter's getting married. She's 60 years old. I went, well, that's an occasion. Granddaughter? Granddaughter. I said, well, Larry, tell me something. Uh, which side of the airplane are you sitting on? He said, I'm sitting right over here. I said, okay. When we're flying along, I'll make announcements for you, Larry, as to what we're flying over. So I want you to listen for your name. And I made an announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have a first-time flyer with us. His name is Larry. He's 90 years old. And he's sitting on the left-hand side of the airplane. So, Larry, on your side of the airplane, that's Cincinnati down there. And, folks, for those of you on the right, that's, you know, whatever it was. And all for the three-hour flight, it was, ladies and gentlemen, on the right-hand side of the airplane, is such and such, and Larry, on your side of the airplane, is such and such. At the end of the flight, when Larry got off, I said, Larry, what did you think of your first flight? He said, it was great. I slept through the whole thing. <laughs> this lady comes on board the aircraft, she sits down, and she's one of those people that you can tell that doesn't fly very often. 
However, she's going to play it up as much as she can because she thinks she's a world traveler. So the flight attendant goes to her and says, ma'am, would you like something to drink? She turns and she's, I like a mariposa. <laughs> Pardon, I'm sorry, I'm not familiar. What is it that you wanted? <sighs> a mariposa. <laughs> He's like, I'm so sorry. Could you please describe what type of drink is that? Because we only have certain drinks. <sighs> I want orange juice and champagne. He goes, oh, you want a mimosa. <laughs> mimosa is what you want, not a butterfly. You want a mimosa. Because I was trying to figure out what butterfly meant. He was like, and she sat there, just had this look on her face like, oh, my gosh. So, yes, she was mortified to the yeah. fact that she was saying it wrong. So, it's mimosa, not mariposa. Do you know what, if somebody said to you, what's this aspergrass? Do you know what they're talking about? What in the hell is aspergrass? He goes, what's aspergrass? Aspergrass? It was, when we had in the menus, it was asparagus. <laughs> <laughs> Pilot story? Mm, yeah, it's a flying story. That's even better. General aviation. Great. Better than airline stories. Well, I've had a few uh, light airplanes over the years, and this was about, oh, seven, eight years ago. I had a uh, four-seat single-engine airplane that was at this little airport in Texas. And uh, I'd been over there working on some stuff, not on that airplane, but as I was getting ready to leave, one of the guys there had said he needed something, a little a tool that I had at my home and I was planning to go home for the afternoon and I said well hey why don't you just follow me home I'll give you what you need and you can head on back so while I was waiting for him at his house this car pulled up behind him and his wife started talking to somebody and I had no idea what it was until <clears throat> she says here maybe Al can help you out so this older gentleman walked over to the car and he looks in and he says I've had a death in the family and I need to go to Abilene. <clears throat> so I was kind of concerned. He was a, an older gentleman and he looked very, very sad. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I can get you to Abilene. He said, well, said, there's somebody here that does some flying. I was thinking maybe he could help me out. But I said, well, that's John. He's, he's out of town. He does some corporate flying. I said, I'll, I'll help you. That's nice. Well, I thought so. So I said to the guy, I'm going to run home, tell my wife I won't be here this afternoon, and I'll get what you need, I'll come on back. And I called my friend Bud that I owned the airplane with, and I said, hey, what you doing? He says, well, I just finished lunch, I was heading over to the hangar. I said, well, why don't you open up the door? I'm going to be there, I got a, I got a mission. I'm going to give this guy a ride to Abilene. It was about 140 miles away, It'd take me about 45, 50 minutes to get there. So I went home, came back about 15 minutes later, and... He had the hangar door open, and so I, I came in, the, the older guy was there, and I said, now, you want to go to Abilene Municipal Airport? He said, yeah, that's right. I said, so I grabbed a couple of charts, and about 10 minutes later, I was airborne. I'd flown the plane three days before, and it was fueled up, and I was out of there. Right turn, heading to Abilene, and so I started talking to this guy, and I says, uh, now, uh, was that one of your family members that brought you over there to drop you off? He said, no, that was my neighbor. He says, uh, I don't have anybody uh, to, to help me out here. I said, well, I, I felt pretty bad for him. And so I, I started asking him a couple of questions, and he says, well, I got me here a $20 bill to help you out with your gas. I was going to burn easily 100 bucks worth of fuel, you know. 
And I said, oh, well, you know, thanks. I appreciate that. And so as we, we flew along, uh, I, I tried to chit-chat with him a little bit. He took his headphones off, and <clears throat> he really didn't want to want to talk. And I thought, well, he's, he's just pretty sad, and I don't have really probably shouldn't be talking to him. So, so it was about a 40-minute flight or so. I came screaming on rather rapidly, came in, made the left base to land to the south, and... Uh, as I'm coming up on short final, clear to land at this controlled airport, pretty good sized airport, he says to me, he says, oh, I don't want to land here. I want to land at that airport over there. <laughs> and there was a little grass runway about five miles away, and I'm thinking, nah, I'm not going to call tower now and when I'm three mile final and tell him I really didn't know which airport I was really planning to go to. So I just went in there and landed and taxied up to the FBO and this guy comes out asking me if I want fuel. I said, no, nah, I'm in good shape. I'm just going back to Granbury. And I said, but if you could help me out, I got a gentleman here. He really needs to get over to the near this little little field about five miles away. He said, well, it's not very busy. He said, um, I can probably just give him a ride. So I says, okay, cool. That's, that's great. So uh, got him out of the airplane, handing him off to the fuel guy. I got back in the plane, flew home. So I got home about, about three o'clock and went home and I started thinking about the day's events. Uh, one thing that, that kind of hit on me was, he said he was planning to watch Monday Night Football and when I got home I realized it was Wednesday. <laughs> and you know, we work odd days, I really hadn't thought about it at the time. And he told me what his name was and where he lived and he lived in the same subdivision as I. And so I got out the homeowners association, looked down, Jack Simons, here's the address, phone number, so I pick up the phone and I call and this lady answers. I said, uh, hi, my name live over here. And she says, oh, Al, yes. She says, are you the nice man that give Jack a ride to Abilene today? I said, uh, yes, ma'am, I, uh, I am. I said, uh, well, Jack's supposed to go to Abilene? She says, oh, no, he has Alzheimer's. Yeah, it was pretty funny. There was a, uh, a flight that was behind us, uh, and I guess they had, uh, because of the weather, they had the, uh, uh, you, you need more separation between the airplanes, but uh, they had the, uh, they should have had the graduate level controller on, but they actually probably had the high school graduate controller on. <laughs> and uh, anyway, he, uh, there was one funny thing. He told this one uh, airplane behind us, he said, uh, hey, I want you to hold it. Uh, Hold at uh, or confirm you're in the hold at uh, Kitar. The guy said, "No, we were, we were never given any holding instructions." He said, "No, I want you to hold at Kitar." He said, "Well, it's behind us." <laughs> <laughs> so, so it didn't work. <laughs> so I was so excited this month. You know, you know, for years and years I didn't make any money off the podcast, and now I've been making a little bit of money off of amazon.com when you go to my website and click on the picture of my book and there's uh then you go you don't have to buy my book but anything you buy after that you know if you were going to buy something anyway it doesn't cost you anymore but if you click through my website i get a little percentage well last month was the best month i've ever had and people bought some big ticket items somebody bought like a big fancy printer i didn't even know printers could cost that much it must be gigantic office printer but you know I almost jumped up and down because like if somebody buys an expensive item like that you know I get a small percentage but when it's a big ticket item that's fantastic somebody else bought these like hard drives but they bought like 
four of them. Um, it was my best month ever. So thank you very much. And there was a listener named Keith, and he was asking if, you know, there's a lot of people overseas that listen to the show, and they'd like to support the show if they could, if they click through the international sites, if I still get a percentage. And I checked into that, and the answer is no. But um, I did go ahead and join. You have to join each international affiliate program. So I just did the UK Amazon, and because my website is so crappy, that is on my list of things to do. I, I am, especially because now the podcast is making a little money, I'm going to try to get the website looking better and be able to spruce it up more, put more pictures and things. Um, so I will be able to put more links. But right now, because I don't have the little template I have, I can't put any other ads on there. But if you do, if you are overseas and you are going to purchase something on Amazon.com, UK, I did put a banner on my press page. So if you go to my website, and then it says, uh, click here for Betty's press room. And then right up top, there's a big Amazon banner. So for Amazon UK. So thank you for my international listeners, if you also want to support the show. And uh, little suggestions, uh, in case you are looking for something to buy on Amazon. I just, that was kind of fun, weird, strange, but I got a whole chapter in a new book that just came out. It's not my book. It's Scott Fox's book called Click Millionaires. And granted, I'm not a click millionaire. Um, I would say I'm more of a click just finally broke even air. <laughs> but anyway, his book is about how to make money on the internet. And I'm chapter 11. And I think it turned out pretty well because sort of my chapter is about, you know, it's not necessarily just money. Um from doing something on internet, but lots of opportunities could come your way, like the book, or I got to do all those radio shows, and um, other opportunities are constantly flowing in. So if you're looking to start something on the internet, I think it's a, his book is very informative, it also gives you a lot of practical information. Um, it's kind of fun being a chapter in somebody else's book. And then a couple months ago, I was mentioning that when I read some really good books, I'll let you know about them, and I'll list them on my website, but two books, I had a lot of time to do some reading on those, you know, flights going all the way, you know, to Palau, you know, through Narita. <laughs> anyway, there's two books that I really liked. One is called The Taker by Alma Katsu, K-A-T-S-U, and then Daughter of Smoke and Bone by Lanny Taylor both really good. They're kind of those books where you just hate to see them end because you've got sucked into their world. Just love that. So those are some of my favorites. And thank you so much for going to my website, clicking through the little picture of my book. And when you're going to buy something on Amazon, it just makes me ridiculously happy. Thank you so much. Okay, so it's another pilot story? Yeah, it is. I thought I'd heard everything from the flight attendants, and then uh, I uh, one time I was coming back uh, from Europe. I was on a 7.6 ER, and um, and the phone goes off. Pick it up. I said, uh, I said, yeah, this is Jeff, and she goes, uh, she goes, Jeff, um, I got one I don't think you've heard before. I said, yeah, right. She goes, I've got a man back here that says that he can't find his wife. I said, well. well are you sure? I mean, is he uh, elderly? No, 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 he's not elderly, he's not demented or anything, but he can't find his wife. I said, I need a little more than, than what you're telling me here. And she goes, well, 
he got on the airplane and uh, he's, he swears his wife was supposed to be on the airplane too, but he can't find her. I said, this doesn't happen. There's a, they made a movie about this, but uh, this is not real. And I said, God, find out the whole story and call me back. And I said, okay. And so she calls me back after a little bit. And she said, yeah, I got the deal now. Uh, they were in, um, I think we were in Vienna on the way back to Atlanta. And, uh, and uh, anyway, so they, were, they decided they were going to upgrade to first class or business class, except when they started looking at it, they only had enough miles to upgrade one of them. So, and in his defense, he, he was the one that was upgraded because he was a much, he was a pretty tall guy. So anyway, he went up to first class. Well, his wife, uh, she was uh, gonna get on and, and sit in the regular seat. Well, it took this guy six hours to figure out that his wife wasn't on the airplane. So I think he got up to business class and he's whining himself and dining himself and having a great time and watching movies. Took him six hours to figure out that he ought to go find Marge. So he made he made uh, three trips through the airplane and uh, looking at every seat and every person, and he couldn't find her. So that's when he thought he ought to say something. So he went up to the flight attendant and said, "Hey, I, I can't find my wife. She's supposed to be here." So anyway, uh, we finally finally uh, made a uh, sent a ACARS message back to. Uh, uh, through the company, and they said, "Oh yeah, we found Marge. Marge is in Vienna. She never got on here." But you know what? Yeah, you know what? If I had done that, I would have a lot of splaining to do about how I left my wife. But I don't know uh, how it happened. She, I guess, she went to the uh, the bathroom or something, or something happened, and never got on the airplane. Somebody else was in her seat, and this poor, this poor guy had lost his wife. Plus, it kind of messed up their travel plans, but. It's like home alone. That's it. Yeah, and she got she got left that, home. Yeah. So you have a story? Oh yes, I have a story. <laughs> I was going on a flight coming back from Paris to Atlanta. I asked a new hire since he was in training. I said, you know what? You need to learn to do this one day. So I asked him to go ahead and walk through and distribute the oh, yeah. stickers for the special meals. Okay. So he goes and he does it, and I you know, show him how to do it one, two times, and he does it, he's fine. So we're going through the service, and we're hanging out the meals. So he hands them, this couple, two child's meals. <laughs> <laughs> so we continue on, and we'll get back to that row, because we're about four or five rows up. Well, we get to that row, they're like, we didn't order this, but yet still, the meals are finished. They're done. They're they, clean. They ate the macaroni and cheese. They ate the <laughs> macaroni and cheese and the dinosaur-shaped chicken nuggets. So I said, so they're looking very confused and very baffled. And I said to him, I said, well, sir, did you not order a special meal? Yes. I said, do you have children? Yes. I said, well, where are your children? Oh, they're on the other aisle over there. I said, so you didn't think that maybe the dinosaur-shaped chicken nuggets, the macaroni and cheese, the teddy grams, and the carrots might be for your children? And then he's looking at, he and the wife both are looking at me and I'm like, well, I can solve this problem real quickly. I said, kids, guess what? You're gonna go ahead and eat your parents' meal. So I knew I was going to Palau and I was excited about the jellyfish and I'm always thinking, you know, and I was sort of thinking, I wonder if I could get a picture of, well, I wanted to get a picture of me with the jellyfish, but that didn't work out very well because um, I was the only 
certainly the only blonde, <laughs> but also the only non-Japanese person on the tour. And uh, I was about the only English speaker. And so it was kind of hard to ask people to take a picture of me. And I was by myself and I tried taking pictures uh, of myself. And I know all of you have probably tried to take a picture of yourself with your camera and it, it works okay, but try to do that uh, underwater and get jellyfish, blind jellyfish, blind golden pulsating jellyfish <laughs> that are bouncing off of your snorkel mask in the picture at the same time. I have a whole bunch of ones that, yeah, didn't turn out so well. But uh, so I had taken also, because I kind of thought this would be fun. I took, I printed out a, a eight by 11 sign of the Betty and the sky of the suitcase logo. And I sort of, I, I went to Staples. I got it laminated because I was planning on taking it. <laughs> out with the jellyfish. Little did I know, as I was saying before, they wash it off. They don't let you take anything because you have to climb up this steps path, like up and over a mountain to get to the jellyfish lake. When I say mountain, you know, hill, it wasn't like, you know, climbing Everest or anything, but you know, it took maybe 20, 25 minutes, but they don't let you take anything but a camera and your snorkel and fins. So I wasn't able to take my, my little laminated Betty in the sky with a suitcase logo. <laughs> So that that idea was bust. And um, and I also do those funny Christmas card photographs every year. So I was hoping to do something with that, but that wasn't going to work out either. And so I had with me this Betty in the Sky with a suitcase logo laminated sign. And um, one of the other things I did in Palau, which was really fun, was I think it was I went kayaking one day and I was talking to these Israelis and somebody, a local person there said, I said I worked for the airline and he said, oh, there's a there's a sunken World War II airplane uh, that you can snorkel around over by, he told me where it was. And I was like, he said, you can, you can swim out there from the hotel called Sea Passion. And I was like, great. So that was like high on my list. Woohoo. And I thought maybe I can take my sign, <laughs> my laminated sign and swim down and, and get a picture of me or just uh, of the sunken plane and my logo. And so I was all excited. I'm thinking, oh, good, this stupid sign thing didn't go to waste. I'll take it. I'll take a photo with the sunken World War II airplane. Now I did find out because granted a lot of these things are a little contrived. This is an actual World War II sunken airplane, but it sank a little farther down on the island and they moved it here. <laughs> but what's funny is I talked to one guy who was a diver and he stayed at that hotel twice. He's like, I didn't know there was a plane out there. So you sort of had to, at least this is what I did. I I sort of made a grid swimming, looking for the airplane, <laughs> back and forth, and back and forth. And I was like, here I was snorkeling, like, there it is, there's a plane, a plane. <laughs> of course, there's nobody around. I'm all excited, probably scaring the fish, getting excited about the plane. And I had taken my laminated logo sign and stuck it under my, uh, I had a rash guard on, like a shirt, so you don't, your back doesn't get burned. And that worked, because here I had my sign. And let me tell you, I don't know. If you've ever tried to take a picture underwater with a sign by a sunken airplane, but that's no easy task. <laughs> I can't try to dive down. It was too far down. So I, was, I thought maybe I can wedge the sign in somewhere, then, you know, hover above, take the picture and go back down and take it. But I couldn't, probably because I was holding the sign and the camera, I couldn't get and, I, you know, I'd sometimes if you want to really dive down far, you need sort of weights or something. I couldn't, I kept trying, I kept swimming down, couldn't get the sign far enough. So then I was trying to like hold out the sign <laughs> in front of me and take a picture with the plane and the Betty in the sky. 
the suitcase logo. And sometimes I don't have really the brightest ideas, but I will put a picture. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be of the jellyfish or of the airplane, but I'll, I'll put a picture of either the jellyfish or the sunken airplane on my website. And um, I don't know if I'll be taking another laminated Betty in the Sky with a suitcase logo um, to do any more underwater self-photography. Okay, wait, this is about the JetBlue pilot that went nuts, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Roses are red, pilots are blue, I'm a schizophrenic and so am I. <laughs> accomplished American aviator has died, Evelyn Bryan Johnson logged more flight hours than any woman in history. She died yesterday at age 102. NPR's Charlie Mayer, also a pilot, has this appreciation. I first met Evelyn Johnson on her 94th birthday in 2003. I visited her at the airport in Morristown, Tennessee with NPR's Scott Simon. In Morristown, Tennessee, the local flight instructor is 94 years old. All right, Sam Track, 704 Yankee Echo, taking off runway 23. Evelyn Bryan Johnson loves to fly and believes it's good for what ails you. You forget about the problems while you're up. You still got them, but that doesn't matter. You've had a little rest from them. Decades ago, one of Evelyn Johnson's students gave her the nickname Mama Bird, and it stuck. By her own count, Mama Bird taught more than 5,000 people how to fly. As a designated pilot examiner for the FAA, she gave more than 9,000 flight tests. Over the decades, she even trained her share of airline pilots. Oh, mercy, yes. Lots of them. Two of them turned out to be vice presidents of U.S. Air. One of them was a 30-year pilot for FedEx. One of the girls flies for American out of New York. Some of the other girls fly for United, Delta, Continental. There's lots of, lots of girls as well as boys. There's lots and lots and lots of them. In her later years, Miss Johnson used a wheelchair or a walker to make the journey from the airport terminal to her plane. She perfected the delicate maneuver of lifting herself from the tarmac up to the wing strut and into the co-pilot seat of a Cessna 150, tail number November 704 Yankee Echo. Once in that seat, Miss Johnson was as nimble and muscular with the flight controls as any fighter pilot. I flew with her on Christmas Eve 2004, and she wasn't shy about reminding me that she could still command that plane through every phase of flight. We departed off of runway 23, climbing to 4,000 feet under a canopy of smooth gray clouds. Brown farmland faded beneath us. The snow-capped smoky mountains rose up on our left to meet the clouds. Knoxville approach vectored us to downtown Island Airport. Miss Johnson took her first flight lesson there on October 1st, 1944. During a quiet moment on that frequency, an FAA supervisor called us up on the radio. Cessna 4 Yankee Echo, Knoxville approach. Is Miss Johnson on board? I replied that she was, and the air traffic controller asked her how many flight hours she had. She clicked on the radio without missing a beat and answered, 57,597 and a half. The controller was impressed. Another pilot flying around out there between the mountains and the clouds got on the frequency to add his own tribute. Miss Johnson signed me off 30 years ago, he said to anyone who was listening. She responded with a chuckle. I can't believe you're still flying, he answered back. Merry Christmas. We love you, dear. 
Scott Simon interviewed Miss Johnson in 2003, the centennial of powered flight. He asked her if she thought she might live to be 100. Well, of course, I've thought about it. I'd like to be, I'd like to live to be 100. Here's what I'd like. Willard Scott be telling about me being 100 years old, but I wouldn't hear him because I'd be up flying. Wherever she is today, Evelyn Johnson is probably sitting in the right seat of a two-seat airplane. She is gently encouraging a nervous student pilot while she steals a few peeks out the window at the beautiful world below. Evelyn Johnson died yesterday in Tennessee. She was 102. Charlie Mayer is Director of Operations here at NPR News. That's about it for this episode of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I hope you enjoyed the Mariposas, Abilene, Capucci, Sunken Ships, and Rockstar Jellyfish. I hope you'll join me again next time for another episode of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase so we can travel the world together. Thanks. Bye. Bye.